Today's message is called Wake Up. Revelations 3, verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Only Jesus has the seven spirits or the sevenfold spirit, meaning the complete and perfect spirit of God. And only Jesus holds the seven stars, which is mentioned back in chapter 1 when we started the study, that He holds the seven stars in His hands. The seven stars are what are being referred to as the seven angels of these churches. But rather than assume that every church just has another angel assigned to it, a better interpretation of the word angel used here and then in the first three chapters is that angel also means messenger or pastor. A pastor is God's messenger to the church and that he is responsible to faithfully preach God's Word to them without compromise, without fear of offending, and continuing to share whatever God would have him preach at any given time. Not all preachers or pastors are willing to give whatever God gives them to preach because they're afraid they might offend people and maybe the numbers might go down. With that being said, I believe that this series on the book of Revelation has been directed and ordered and anointed by God for such a time as this. I know that some of you have missed a week here or there throughout the series, and so I strongly encourage you to go on our website, rosscommon.cc. I think it's on our bulletin here. But go on our website, and there's all the, all the previous sermons are on there, so you can listen to the, the, on any series that you missed, if you'd like. And so now we continue with this letter to the church in Sardis. The church at Sardis was surrounded by paganism and idolatry, but the problem with it was it failed to stand out amidst the darkness. This is a great warning also to the churches of today, for they stand in the midst of a dark society, which is continually trying to rewrite the truths of the Bible. I know this is no shock to you if you've been paying attention to what's going on in the world. Our depraved society is continually attempting to redefine such biblical precepts as love, grace, marriage, identity, sin, gender, heaven, hell, and absolute truth. When these biblical concepts are perverted or softened or brought down and changed to fit evolving human logic that lines up with political correctness, what happens is we remove conviction of the soul when we stray. Without conviction, there's no repentance. Without repentance, there is no change. Without change, we look and reason and act and live much more like the world than like Jesus. And thus, the eternal destination of more and more people becomes hell, not heaven. This is in the Bible. For Christians hold to the truth of the Bible that one must acknowledge that they have sinned. We all have sinned, every one of us. We all have sinned, but we need to acknowledge that we have sinned. And then repent and turn to God. 
accepting the sacrifice that Jesus made for our sins so that the Holy Spirit can come live in us and empower us to live a life for Christ because even after we come to Jesus, we're still going to fall down. We're still going to mess up. We're still going to blow it. I blow it all the time. But because of God coming and living inside of me and forgiving me of sins, I have mercy each and every morning to go out and live for Christ. Not in my own power or in my own strength, but by the Holy Spirit. That's what Christians believe. We are not perfect. We are forgiven. Acts 2.38 says this, Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the only way to be forgiven of your sins. Because if you're not forgiven, if you don't, if you don't acknowledge what you're doing is wrong, and it's a sin, then there will be no remission of your sins, and your sins will be held against you. Therefore, without the covering of the blood of Jesus, you stand guilty before God. Unlike those who have gone to God and accepted a sacrifice and have been forgiven and have been made righteous by Jesus' blood. If you stand guilty before God because you refuse to repent, you refuse to agree with the Bible's definition of sin, and you continue unrestrained, sinning against God with no remorse, you will be eternally damned. That's what the Bible says. Yes, those are strong words. But that is what the Bible teaches. That is what Jesus has taught. Contrary to modern teaching, that is more political than accurate. That is more perverted than reverent. Jesus taught a balance of grace and stern truth with consequences. Yes, Jesus loves the unlovable. Yes, Jesus was moved by compassion for the lost. But He also hated sin. Why? Because it separates us from Him. He doesn't want any of us to be separated, so He hates what is in between. He hates the sin. And if we hold on to the sin more to God, then we go along with the consequences of it. He hated sin. And He taught strongly on the consequences of continuing to sin without repentance. Let me draw your attention to the uncompromised words of Jesus. Jesus' words, Matthew 5.29. says, If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Some modern-day preachers teach that there is no hell, even though Jesus definitely claims that there, are, there is. Matthew 5.30 And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. What does this tell you about the love of Jesus? If you are confused about God's love, then you really don't understand tough love. How many parents out here? How many of you have ever had to use tough love? Or your kids didn't understand it, they thought you were hurting them, but you knew tough love was the only way to give them love. Amen? Tough love is real love. That's a Bible-defined love, and yet the world tells you, you can't be tough on them, you'll hurt their self-esteem. We need to be easy on them. It means we don't show our love by 
for someone by letting them remain in sin unhindered. That's tough love. It's not love to encourage and celebrate sinful behaviors and attitudes just because we don't want to hurt their self-esteem or just because we want to be political correct. That is not love. If I knew someone was heading down the wrong track and I didn't help them or didn't warn them, that is not love. There is no tougher and more authentic love than Jesus going to the cross that He didn't deserve and willingly dying for our sins so that we might become His righteousness. And here in Matthew, He points out sin and He says that if we don't separate ourselves from it, we are bound to go to hell with the sin. Those are the words of Jesus. I had a student, most of you know I'm a middle school teacher. I had a student this week came up to me and he was so excited he made the basketball team about a week ago. And uh, he came up to me after they started practicing and said, Mr. Williams, I'm going to quit the team. I said, what? He said, Mr. Williams, all I want to do is to play basketball. My coach is too strict. He yells at us all the time. He makes us run. He's always doing this stuff. Nobody's having fun. I want to quit the team. I said, nope. He said, what do you mean? I said, I'm not going to let you quit the team. He said, what do you mean? I said, if you quit the team now because it's tough, you're going to learn to quit your whole life. You'll quit on your friends. You'll quit your job. You'll quit your marriage. You'll quit your family. You'll quit on yourself. You'll stop taking care of yourself. You'll quit every difficult thing in life. Some parts of life are very tough, I told him. And they're not a lot of fun. But quitting is not an option. I will not let you quit. He looked at me, what? And then right in front of him, I said, is your mom home? Yeah. I called his mom. said, your son is saying that he wants to quit the basketball team because it's too tough. And she said, oh no, he's not quitting the team. I won't let him. And I said, good. I wanted him to hear, to hear that we're both on the same page because the people that love him won't let him quit. We care about him too much to let him quit. My student was stunned. He had never heard another adult besides his parent tell him that he couldn't quit something. At a very young age, he got a very real definition of tough love. This is what God is saying throughout the Bible. Yes, Jesus is love, but it doesn't mean Jesus is saying, I love you so you can do whatever you want. He's saying, I love you and I'm going to show you the right way and I'm going to keep you on that narrow path even if it hurts because I want, you to, I want to spend eternity with you. There is no greater love than that. That's what God says throughout the whole Bible. He loves us with a tough love. Now, He accepts us as we are. We come to Him, we don't have to get all cleaned up. We don't have to fix everything. We are still a mess in sin. And God says, I accept you, but as you come to me and press into me, I'm going to begin to change you. And if you're willing to submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to begin to make you more like my son Jesus. That's what God does if we come to Him. So throughout the Bible, Jesus gives us this tough love. He says, run from sin. Cut off any attempt that's trying to pull you back into the pattern of this world. Make a stand against the enemy. Close the door of temptation. Now we just read a 
a, a difficult passage that said to cut off your right hand or pluck off your eye. It just means to cut off a door into your mind. If you know you're going to a place, you know you're going to be tempted into what? A TV show? Put a towel over the TV or unplug the TV or disconnect your internet. Or put your phone in the car. Close the door to the enemy so he doesn't have a direct opening into your mind. Leave a conversation that's beginning to go wayward. Cut off the advancement of the enemy. Gather like-minded brothers and sisters to come alongside of you that will intercede for you, that will hold you accountable by asking tough questions and will not allow you to quit on your life with him because it's too tough. And when you talk about holding someone accountable, do it. I've got to tell you something. This Wednesday night, I taught a Wednesday night, and I had a Charlie Bucket moment. Who knows who Charlie Bucket is? Really? One of you? Come on. You know the story. Uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. You know the story? Remember that movie? Remember Charlie Bucket, the one that got the golden ticket? Remember at the very end of the show when they all went through and they all broke the laws and then at the very end, Charlie Bucket came back to Willy Wonka and he said, Mr. Wonka, here's my everlasting gobstopper. I wasn't supposed to share it. I'm going to get back to you. He said, Charlie, you won! You got what I was trying to teach you. I did a teaching on Wednesday night and it was all about connecting with people who are showing warning signs of sinking. The warning signs of sinking ship. If you didn't know, Wednesday was the anniversary of the sinking of the Edmund Fitzgerald. So I taught about that and I compared it to the warning signs that we miss when the people around us are starting to sink and starting to fall away. Something that we as a church need to be aware of. It was a great message. I invite you to come to our Wednesday nights. But after I finished and everyone went home, and uh, and about half an hour later, I got a call on my phone. I'm not going to mention who it was, but someone who attended Wednesday night service said, Pastor Brad, I noticed that in your message was very different. Are you okay? I was. I had a Charlie Bucket moment. I wanted to say, you won! You got it! You see, we show these signs, and, we, and, and if we don't respond because something might be off, maybe he was talking about himself, she thought. I need, I'm going to reach out to him just in case. That's exactly what we need to do as a church. When we know someone is strained, or even we think, and even if we're wrong, I was not offended. I, I told her I was so happy that she called. When we see people who are sinking or warning signs or not doing something or starting to pull back or something looks different, call them. A call means a credible lot. We need to gather together with like-minded brothers and sisters to make sure that we stay on the path, not to nag them, but because out of love. Amen? That, my brothers and sisters, is true love. That is what the church needs to do in order to be a light in the darkness. We need to stand out from the darkness, not just blend into the background. We can't afford to be seen as a church like the, like the church that Jesus saw at Sardis. That they had this population, they had this popular name, but they were dead inside. They didn't stand out in a morally bankrupt society. Not out of judgment, but out of love. We are called to be the light of the world, especially when it's tough. Especially when it hurts. And we cannot allow each other to quit on life. We can't just quit church when things get tough and things don't go our way. 
We can't walk out on friendships and godly influence in our lives because we're offended. We have to work through all things in a way that gives honor and glory to God. And God looks at how we respond. In order to be a light for Jesus, we need to remain teachable and humble and willing to pursue Jesus and the truth of His Word in our lives. But if our light goes dim because we give up when it's tough, then we make ourselves not ready for Jesus' return. Understand this. When Jesus returns for His bride, when He comes back for us, His bride is the church, the body of Christ. When He comes back, He will not be waiting around for us to get ready then. It's not like your father pulls up and starts honking the horn, come on, we're going to church. When He comes back, we need to be ready. Not perfect, but we need to be ready. It means we're pressing into God. We're loving each other. We're forgiving one another. We're being a light in the darkness. He's coming back for those who have made themselves ready. The time to get ready is now. Jesus is coming soon. Will you be ready? Are you taking these warnings to heart? These are not just seven letters to seven churches as if we're studying a history book. These are warnings to the modern day church. The modern day body of Christ. Are you, the, are you taking these warnings to heart? Are you daily asking the Holy Spirit to convict you? Are you daily spending time in His Word and in prayer? Are you doing everything possible to make yourself ready for His return? The King of Kings who created the entire universe is coming back for you. Are you ready? Revelation 19.7 says this, Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His wife has made herself ready. That's us, the body of Christ. We are making ourselves ready. We are commanded to make ourselves ready for His glorious return. We cannot complete this on our own. It's not by our efforts or our strivings. We must be in His Word regularly. In His Word where, is where we are commanded to abide. It's where we're commanded to live. We must be in prayer. Constantly communing with Him. Talking with Him. Listening to Him. Continuing to learn to discern His voice from the voices of the world. And when we hear His voice of instruction, we must be ready to obey promptly without letting our logic or our fear of what others might think or do prevent us from following Him. We must make ourselves ready. For He is indeed coming soon. God has very high expectations for churches and their members who represent Him and represent His name in the world. Coming to church and accepting Jesus Christ and calling yourself a Christian is a very serious commitment. By calling ourselves Christians, we take on the very name of Christ. And therefore, we are expected to completely pattern our lives after Him. What do we know about Jesus? Jesus never quit. He went to the cross, and He went through the cross for us. Unlike the church at Sardis, we must stand out in the darkness. We must provide a contrast from the darkness that's out there. We must be wholly devoted to Him, being led by pure hearts and pure motives, 
continually responded to conviction ourselves. Because I don't know about you, but when I spend time in the world, I get dirty. And that's why we have the gift of repentance and confession and coming to God and say, cleanse me from my unrighteousness and heal me and forgive me. And God does. We must continue to share the uncompromised gospel with others and seek to be set apart as a definite contrast from the world. Although the church at Sardis appeared spiritual on the outside, Jesus knew their hearts. So He rebuked them. Revelation 3, verse 2, where we get our title of our message today. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. To wake up means to start paying attention to our need of salvation. We don't just try Jesus because He's the cool thing to do. We need Him. We need His blood to cover our sins so that we can be forgiven and come into right standing with God. To wake up means to stop being careless about the heart's condition before God. This church in Sardis may have had a good reputation, but they were spiritually lifeless. In other words, the church was filled with people who were just going through the motions of religion, but not submitting themselves daily to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Our reputation with others is of no value on the scales of salvation. And it matters not what we think of ourselves or how we assess our own Christian walks. God's perspective of us is the only one that matters. We must be true to Him and to His Word. We must not be content in where any of us are with God. We must wake up and seek Him with all of our heart and our mind and our soul and our spirit. And as more and more people come alongside, it builds a momentum, a crescendo, as a body of Christ prepares to make themselves ready for His return. Revelation 3, verse 3. Remember therefore how you have received and heard. In other words, remember every seed that's been given you. Every word is a seed that's been planted in your heart. And some of those words, those seeds have already taken root and have already begun to bear fruit. But not everything has because of things in your life. So God's saying, remember every seed that you heard. Let it take root. Let it bear fruit in your lives. He says, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, Jesus says, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. We don't know when He's coming. It's not like the kids who their parents are on vacation and their house is a mess. And the parents say, hey, I'll be there in an hour. And they work like crazy to get the house fixed up. A lot of people are living like that right now. I'm, I'm, I'm chasing up the world. I'm doing things, but I'll have time. I'll have time to fix things. Right before I die, I'll get my life in order and I'll, I'll ask for forgiveness. We don't know the time. We don't know the day or the hour. Jesus simply tells us to be ready. To be ready. Remember, these are not just letters to seven different churches. They are warnings to all believers who call themselves Christians. We must be on the watch and be alert and be ready for His coming. Does that mean we can't have fun? Absolutely not. God has composed the church, the body of Christ, with people who enjoy one another and enjoy life and enjoy God's nature and God's blessing. And when you have a group, a group of people that are following the same thing, it's a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun at this church. Amen? Amen. We still need to be focused on one goal, on getting ourselves ready for Jesus.
We cannot afford to be unprepared at His coming. It's time to wake up, to repent, which means to turn to God, to strengthen our prayer life and our daily devotion to Him and to hunger for His Word more than we ever have. It's time to not just talk about forgiveness, but to extend it. I'll tell you a really brave prayer. Ask God to show you how to forgive. You know what will happen? God will bring someone in your life that does something unfair to you that you don't deserve. And God will say, okay, now I want you to demonstrate forgiveness to that person. You'll say, but God, but God. And God, no, 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 but. Remember, Jesus died for our sins even though we are still sinning. You want to be used by God? Let Him use you. This is the greatest way of spiritual warfare. Let Him use you to forgive someone who hurt you or offended you or did something that was unfair. And as you learn to forgive that person, the love of God and the grace of God will flow you, flow through you to bless that other person. You will become closer to God by forgiving other people. We need more of that in the world today. Less talking about forgiveness, more extension of forgiveness. We need to live forgiveness. We need to love others the same way He loved us. And keep pressing in to Jesus. Galatians 6, 9. A word of encouragement. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. If we continue pressing into God and not growing weary, which means we don't give up, we don't quit, we will reap eternal life. Therefore, let us not lose heart. Let us be encouraged by one another's faith. Let us seek Him all the more as the day approaches. Revelation 3, verse 4. He continues, You have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with Me in white, for they are worthy. The faithful remnant in Sardis had not soiled their garments by living a compromised life of sin with no conviction or repentance. Thus, Jesus said to them, they are worthy. Walking worthy means that their actions matched up with their words. Their life matched up with their confession. Throughout his letter, Paul talks about walking worthy several times in the Bible. Colossians 1.10, Paul says, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. That's his prayer for us. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. It's a big task to walk worthy of the Lord. But it's not impossible because if it was, He wouldn't ask us to do that. To fully please God does not mean that you live a perfect life. It simply means that you're always open for conviction so the Holy Spirit can guide your life and cause you to become more like Jesus. Being fruitful in every good work means that when you do a good work and you walk away, you leave more of Jesus behind than yourself behind. Do you know what I mean? Because we can leave ourselves behind and, and do one of these. Pat myself in the back. I did a good job there. And take a lot of credit. You don't take any credit for what you've done. You give Jesus all the glory and all the credit and all the thanks. You refuse to complain and be negative. Thus, you plant seeds of hope in every challenge and in every situation that someone else might reap what you have left and, you, and they come to Jesus. When you bless someone else and you say, it's my pleasure to serve you. It's my pleasure to serve you, Lord Jesus. 
and then walk away. If you take the credit, that seed you planted, you uproot it with you when you walk away. There's no longer seed. Jesus says He wants us to be salt and light. Our salt is how we live life, and our salt makes us thirsty, makes the world thirsty for what we have. We need to leave more of Jesus behind than more of us behind. That's what it means to be fruitful in every good work. Increasing in the knowledge of God means that you keep pressing into Jesus. You keep growing in your faith. You spend more time in the Word and allow your life to be continually changed by the Word. Revelation 3.5 He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot out His name from the book of life, but I will confess His name. I will confess her name before my Father and before His angels. See, the one who overcomes is anyone who is born again and lives for Jesus both publicly and privately, continuing to be drawn to Him and His Word and His will. The overcomer, says here, will receive a white garment, which is a token of righteousness, right standing with God, and will never have their name removed from the book of life. This is a promise of eternal security. We don't talk about eternal security enough and why it's so important. The Bible teaches that when we repent, acknowledge our sin, and come to Jesus, accepting His sacrifice for our sins, we choose to live, by, live for Him by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit that we have. And it, and it gives us eternal life. But God also gives us eternal security, saying, no one will be able to snatch you out of My hand. And I will not blot out His name from the book of life. The reason why this is so important is because if we had no eternal security, we would live timid lives. We would be afraid of making a mistake. We would be afraid of losing our salvation. We would be afraid of everyone and everything that might knock us down or tempt us wayward. Thus, as a result, we would stop getting involved in people's lives. We'd stop seeking to help them and to forgive them, and to reach out, and to serve them. Because if I get stained or dirty, I might lose my salvation. And so I'm going to just live on my own. I'm not going to attend church. I'm not going to get involved in people's lives. But we have to, for the kingdom of God to advance, we have to get involved in people's lives. How then would others know about the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? We would be rendered useless to advance the gospel in the world. That's why God gives us eternal security. Jesus has forgiven the one who truly turns to Him, who is willing to die to sin's control over their life. It doesn't mean that you will never give in to temptation and never sin again. It means that when you sin, you will be convicted and will turn to God immediately in confession and repentance and forgiveness and restoration. Thus, we become emboldened to live for Christ and encouraged to share our faith with others that more people might know the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one and only hope in this world. And Jesus ends His commendation in this letter by stating that He will confess our names before God the Father and His holy angels in heaven. Jesus Christ Himself will confess your name before the throne of our Heavenly Father. What an announcement that will be. We have much to look forward to. 
and much more to do while we are here on this earth. We need to spread that message of hope. We need to be the light in the darkness. We need to stand out from the darkness. Let us all be awakened to the calling that He has put on each of us and let us seek Him and yearn for His Word the more, all the more, as we prepare ourselves for His return. Revelation 3.6 He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Church, take these warnings to heart. Where there is sin in your life, don't excuse it, don't justify it, don't wallow in shame and guilt. Confess it to God immediately. Ask the Holy Spirit to convict you immediately the next time you are tempted. Run from sin and run to God. He is waiting for you. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church of Jesus Christ today. Wake up. Your time is near. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the conviction of the Holy Spirit that it brings things up to mind, whether it's something that just happened or something that we've been carrying our entire life. There's no time limit on our sins, God. If we lay it down before You, do forgive us of all of our sins. You cleanse us from all unrighteousness as Your Word states. I pray, God, that You would bring things to our mind that we could let go and choose to seek You by being restored by the power of the Holy Spirit.